0: Sabonis down the lane with authority. Oh, Wild! Well. Oh. Turner, oh. bringing that smoke. Lumbergh, skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes, T.J. Warren is not human. I'm the Setting the Pace podcast. Had Kevin on. Well, you got it setting the pace, and I think that's terrific.
2: Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I am joined by Alex Golden as well as Ty Windish from Eurostep. Ty, what's going on?
3: Guys, how's it going? Happy to be here. Thanks much for having me. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, we're glad to have you. Sorry to cut you off there, Foch. So we got ourselves an interesting game here for a little bit of time. I was uh, surprised the Pacers were hanging in there with the Bucks Ty. But, you know, thankfully Milwaukee woke up a little bit in the second half and took care of business for you guys. As you're still competing for for what now? I mean, as we're talking seeding-wise, what is Milwaukee uh, able to get here right now?
3: Yeah, it's interesting. Technically, first seed still on the table. They can't fall any farther from three. There's basically a divide between three and then four in kind of the middle of the playoff run there. But two is still in the mix. One is still in the mix. They need a lot of help. They need to win out and have Philly lose out to get one. Uh Philly. I think hosts Orlando twice the last two days, so that's Ooh. starting to feel unlikely. <laughs> uh, technically, yeah. still possible if Brooklyn loses uh, another game, though they just need to lose once, and the Bucks win okay. out, they could get second. So, the Bucks have said several times they don't care about seeding. as you pr- guys could probably tell in this game. It's believable they're playing yeah. their players, but their players are not exactly treating these games with the most uh, seriousness, we'll say so. Uh, giving up 130 again for like the third or fourth time in about two weeks, which is just wild for a team known for defense the last three years. But yeah, they they still have a pretty significant amount on the table, even if they don't care about it.
1: Yeah, Fachi, I was gonna say real quick, the Nets don't have too much of a strength of schedule either. Playing Chicago and Cleveland, uh, two Central Division just terrible teams. So you're gonna need some Central Division foes to help the Bucks get to number two. But Faj, I got to ask you, you know, watching this game, what were your thoughts overall just from a Pacers perspective with so many injuries, you know, I don't even think any of the guys that are in our original starting five finished the game tonight. So what are your thoughts on how the team played tonight?
2: No, I mean, I'm going to be honest. Coming into this game, the, the, the long list of Pacer players that were absent, I thought this could be an absolute bloodbath. And I didn't mean that in a way of a fight. I meant this could be a slaughtering uh, the, the Pacers had not played the Bucks well all year. I mean, in two of the three meetings, they gave up over 140 points. Uh, we lost all three meetings, but you know, you start to think, okay, we, we saw the Bucks at one point earlier in the season, up 40 points on the Pacers. It might've actually been 50. I could be wrong. So I thought this could be bad, but the Pacers kind of held their own for a large part of the game. First half looked good, but, that comes because they shot a ridiculous 13 of 21 from three. Alex, you knew that wasn't going to last, and when things came back down to reality, the Pacers lost.
1: Yeah, it was pretty cool to see Justin Holiday. I think he went ended up hitting eight three pointers, setting a Pacers franchise record for the most three pointers scored in the first quarter. And then he had his career high tonight as six well in the first quarter. Yeah, six in the first six quarter. Six of, six of seven. So yeah, that's right. Three pointers. He was. He was on fire. So I I will say, you know, Justin Holiday was keeping this team afloat for most of the game. And then obviously Sabonis went down with an injury. And, you know, I got to ask you this, Ty, because this is going to tie in just to like an NBA type of thing. But Kevin Pritchard and the whole front office there has kind of set themselves right there by the bench um, in the middle of the season. They changed their their seats from up in the stands and they're down on the floor now. And there's been times where you can see KP and the guys clapping for the players heading to the locker room. It's kind of different. And after Sabonis went down with that injury and they were in a timeout, he gave the okay to come back. And Kevin Pritchard apparently made the call and said, do not go back into the game. So I'm curious from just an NBA standpoint, have we ever really seen a president of basketball operations make a call like that in the middle of the game, especially sitting that close to the bench?
3: I don't know if we've ever like seen it happen like on Mm -hmm. the floor, right? I'm sure that, you know, there's been all sorts of times before when, you know, maybe a call down from the box or wherever they are like, Hey, don't put him back in. I'm sure that's happened. Uh It is unique though for the person to be like right there and the camera can actually pan over and be like, no, no, no. That's, that's kind of funny. I didn't know they were doing that. I actually hadn't noticed. Um, I would think the closest would probably be, um, uh, 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 Mavericks owner Mark Cuban over mm-hmm. in Dallas he sits courtside a lot yeah. but he's, he doesn't run their. I mean he runs their team right he owns it but he, he's not making basketball decisions or at least not the GM slash president of basketball ops so that's really weird um, mm-hmm. but I guess he, it's you no know, nice to uh, see the team up close and have that face to face but that's a strange situation also just one mm-hmm. quick note Love the the brotherly love with Justin Holiday putting buckets on, on Drew Holiday's team. I feel like maybe a little ins- extra inspiration for him down. in this uh, in this career high game.
1: Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. I just – I thought it was weird. Scott Agnes, he's a guy that uh, covers the team for the Fieldhouse Files, uh, his website and stuff like that. He's a great reporter, and he's been on our show a few times. But he actually had the call where he said Kevin Pritchard made the call. I don't know if it was actually on TV, but still it just – a very bizarre thing. I've never seen that happen, and it kind of shows you where this Pacer team is at. Maybe, I think, Fauci, I text you
2: about this. Um, what were your thoughts on that whole situation? My thoughts is that there's clearly a bit of a disconnect between the front office and Bjorkin at this point that Pritchard probably wants to make sure that Bjorken's not going to break out all the stops to try and keep his job. Because, look – I got a feeling, you know, basically when, when the Bucks opened up that third quarter, I think it was like a 10-0 run. Uh, the Pacers, it, it didn't look like, it didn't look too promising that they were going to come back. Once the bonus went down, I was grateful that the injury was not worse because yeah, that looked, looked bad. pretty bad. If that was an ACL tear or anything of the sort, at this point, I mean, you got to be thinking a. Bjorkren's out of there. Sabonis might miss all of next year. What are you doing? I mean, our whole lives could be in shambles in a quick snap. So I think there's no way you could have put him back in there. Pritchard, hey, I'm happy that he stepped up and made sure it didn't happen because, Alex, it did look debatable if Sabonis was going to go back in.
1: Yeah, I mean, Sabonis is one of those guys that continues to play through pain a lot. He gave the thumbs up, said, hey, I'm good to go back in. And you could see he was visibly frustrated on camera yeah. when he was unable to go back in. And like we said, you know, being that it was a Kevin Pritchard decision, I think at this point in KP's career, he's seen so many of his key guys go down with injuries. Too he's just being safe. And at this point, we're in the playing tournament. We're not going to get any better than the seven seed, which we can't now because with that loss, Boston owns a tiebreaker, so the highest we can get is eighth. And it's not like Charlotte's got an easy schedule. They've got the Clippers and the Wizards for the remaining two games. The Wizards, I believe, have Cleveland and Charlotte, so there's a chance they could pass us. We have the Lakers who who knows who's gonna play for them. And then we've got, I think yeah, Toronto to wrap it up. Yeah. So and Toronto's not playing anybody either. So it's just one of those things where we're in the same position Ty, but it's a different type of thing. Pacer fans, I, I think would right now at this point prefer to lose out, maybe get the ten seed and hope yeah. that the Wizards are the uh are the are the nine seed and we're the ten seed, but you know, as far as the play-in game goes, I mean, in your in, in the Bucks' perspective, wouldn't you much rather play a team in that playing tournament than be stuck playing one of those teams in the in the six seed?
3: Hundred percent, yes. I think there was some debate pre the very unfortunate Jalen Brown injury of like, yeah, would you rather see the Knicks at six or the Boston or the Celtics at seven? Right. I think I, I'm not saying that I'm that I would prefer Boston. Uh, I think the Knicks are actually pretty good. But I think there was some debate before that injury. There at least could Mm -hmm. have been. Now, though, when the Celtics are kind of disjointed, kind of getting it together a little bit. Tatum, obviously, is really good. The best player, you know, outright out of all of those teams that we just talked about. And really, probably the best player. I mean, outside of you could argue the Miami guys. But otherwise, the best player, like from Hawks on down, just by himself. Really, really great player. Um, But there's just not enough help there, I don't think. Um, so yeah if you can that's why we've really stressed on the pod like if you can get to two you should really try to get to two because yeah. you get home court against the nets who are not going to finish first for a while now and you get a much easier first round as opposed to potentially catching the miami heat who obviously a bit <laughs> of a boogeyman for bucks and, and bucks fans but it seems like a pretty solid shot. They end up with the Knicks now, which is not nearly as frightening, even though it's it's a fun story. Honestly, I'm sure you guys can relate. It'll just be nice to have a first round series on na- real national TV and not NBA TV <laughs> at, at yeah. 1 p.m. I think the Knicks might get us some 7 p.m. starts, which will be nice. But um, yeah, it's uh, certainly the original question now more than ever these play-in teams. I mean, like you mentioned, They're how crap. many How many of these fan bases are like, you know, we wouldn't mind losing early in this thing to get a shot at some lottery balls. Like, yeah. it's kind of telling.
2: Ty, yeah. they won't let us out of the 10th seed. <laughs> Over the ninth, no matter what we do, we cannot escape those two seeds. We don't want in there, but we can't get out. So if we have to be in there, at least be the 10th seed because we weren't even good at home this year for the first time <laughs> in 30-plus years. So you know, why not just take it on the road, take the 10th seat, get a little bit of a better draft pick because it would be such a long road to do anything meaningful here.
3: So wait, uh, just to be clear, the the play-in teams who don't actually get to 7 or 8, they still get to be in the lottery, right? I mean, your chances yeah. aren't very good. Yeah. But I think if you lose, if you don't make it, because it's not the playoffs, it's the play-in, Not the right. playoffs. We're getting ridiculous with, with the nomenclature. But no yes. chance.
1: So, well, the big caveat here, so like say we're – say we're nine and Charlotte somehow loses all three in their 10, right? And and let's say Charlotte beats us in the 10 versus nine matchup, but then they lose the next matchup, whoever loses seven, eight. So let's say Charlotte loses that game. Well, if they have a worse record than us, they will still have a higher lottery pick. Oh, they beat us. So it goes back to overall record once you're eliminated, but you still have a chance to be seven and eight. So that's kind of where the tricky thing is there. And I think that's why Pacer fans are just like, be the ten seed. That way, even if you do like win a game and you lose the next one, you're still gonna have a higher pick than one of those teams. And jockeying for positions just a big a big thing here because you know Indiana. They're not a team that ever tanks, so yeah, it's it's tough for us to get into the lottery. And so this is an opportunity for us to do it in the middle of a crazy season with our coaching staff. You know, blowing up a little bit at you know players and. All this stuff that's been reported, it's just it's been pretty much hell for the Pacers the last couple of weeks, all the reports. But they've strung together some nice basketball here in the last week. And I, I just gotta ask you because as a fan of the Pacers, I'm not really too excited about this year's playoffs for our team. But looking at other teams, you know, I would like to see Milwaukee do well just because they're a small market. They got to keep Giannis onto the Kumpo. He didn't leave. And I, you know, I'm not like against super teams, or whatever, but it's just more fun to root against them than it is to root for them like your, like your Brooklyn. So what is it going to take for Milwaukee to actually, you know, get to the Eastern conference finals or, or be a serious contender? You know, I know they've struggled the last couple of seasons and had some disappointing losses in the playoffs and it can be a coach bud thing. It can be whatever, but I'm just kind of curious, you know, where are Bucks fans at and how high do you think this team, like what's their ceiling?
3: Yeah. I think Bucks fans are actually pretty excited. Um, You know, them not seeming to care about these, this last week plus, uh, but aside, just because you take who, you know, not counting Bud, at least, and maybe even if you count Bud, kind of the team's biggest weakness over the last two playoff runs has been Eric Bledsoe. Like, the things he does well defensively in the regular season don't really translate to the playoffs. Like, his individual defense, I mean, he made an all-defensive team at least one of those two years, but it was because, like, he fought over screens really well to funnel opponents into the Brook Lopez and the drop, and as we all learned... The drop ne- not, isn't necessarily working as well in the playoffs when teams are really going to game plan against it. So, uh, and Bledsoe was just such a scatter shot performer that you never knew night to night the kind of contributions you were going to get, except you knew in the playoffs it probably wasn't going to be very good. So going from that to drew holiday, who's kind of the polar opposite in a lot of ways has been huge. And also the team is switching now on defense a lot more. They also run a zone. I don't want to talk about the zone. The zone is not fun for me, but they switch a lot more and the switching has actually been quite good. They went and got PJ Tucker. They have drew. Now they have very switchable lineups, so they're much better geared for the playoffs. Um, So I think everyone is pretty excited just to see how it looks and, Giannis has quietly, you know, continued to get better, which is wild. Like he's working a lot more on the shooting this year, both from mid-range and from three. And and we're seeing some results here or there. Uh, I just, I don't think he's ever going to get to like, you know, 40%, but I won't rule out anything for Giannis at this point after all he's already accomplished. But I think for them to get out of the East, I think it's just Brooklyn. Like I think if they get through Brooklyn, I don't think there's any way Philly is going to beat the I just think Milwaukee is better. I think they're very equipped for that matchup. I think, you know, Brooke Lopez is not ideal in every series just because he can get spaced out, but he's fine against Philly. Like he's comfortable playing against Embiid and Simmons, uh, or at least as comfortable as anyone can be against a guy like Embiid. So I think they have to beat the Nets. To beat the Nets, they have to execute almost perfectly and get a little bit lucky (laughs) because you mentioned that's a super team, right? Like if KD, Harden, and Kyrie are all on for four games out of seven and they're all score like 30 or 40 points, you might just lose. Like you might just not be able to beat them. So what are you going to do there? Yeah. You need a little bit of luck, but I think they can make it a good series. They have the defenders to really kind of bother those guys, which a lot of teams don't. So I think they can make it a good series. They just need to execute better than they have been recently. Mm -hmm. And they looked good against the Nets this year. So uh, it's promising. Although Brooklyn was not at full strength.
2: Yeah, Fox. Do you have any uh, so any questions last year for Ty? the Bucks were yeah. So basically, last year the Bucks they were off to a dominant start. I mean, I think the first twenty games. I mean, you guys were just tearing through the league and looked really good. I felt like the Bucks after the restart, it was it didn't feel the, quite the same. But how is your perception of this Bucks team compared to last year? Because. You mentioned the great offseason that they have, and then obviously picking up P.J. Tucker before the deadline. Like It feels like this Bucks team is just deeper. It's better than last year. But last year, obviously, the East wasn't as strong. So do you think that your perception of this team is much more positive going to the playoffs, or is it just like you mentioned? Wow, how are you going to get through Brooklyn? So was last year's outlook better than this year, or
3: vice versa? I think this year fans are probably – I mean, it's a split. There's so much holiday and switching. Those are really the main two things, excitement, that I think people are generally excited. But I think there's more cynicism overall as well, just because of last year's playoff run. You know, when you lose to the Raptors and they go and win the title, um, and obviously you have the 2-0 lead and really blow it. But still, Raptors were really good. And, you know, it was just kind of like, okay, they'll, they'll get better from that. Giannis will improve. That Bud will improve the whole team, everything else and then losing a round earlier to an inferior team the next year. Although that team made the finals, that Heat team, they didn't win a championship, although you could argue the Raptors wouldn't have without some assistance from uh, unlucky injuries. But still, um, that Heat team, I don't think is good as that Raptors team. I, don't, I, I just think that Raptors team was better. Um, but you lose to them, and really, like, embarrassingly, right? Like, one to five. The series never really close. The, Rap- the Heat just took it from the beginning. I just think it was so demoralizing and just made so many people who were Bucks fans who used to have fun in the regular seasons and everything else just really feel like they needed to see more in the playoffs. And I think it's still been a fun regular season. I think Giannis resigning really took a lot of the edge off and made it a lot easier. I think if he hadn't done that, I think we might be miserable right now, quite honestly, <laughs> um, or at least it's anxious. all
2: ESPN would be talking about. Oh, ESPN know. would be running that story every single day, night.
3: I, I still love that running it. <laughs> the Bucks went from the most talked about team when that was the topic <laughs> yep. to like no one cares anymore at all. Yeah, <laughs> sure. they're only in the news now if they've signed somebody or if Drew says he wants to be DPOI, which is cute. But um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think there's there's a little bit of anxiety still for sure. I think people just need to see them have a better playoff run. I think what sucks about the Bucks these last two years is they're not appreciated. I don't think it's just because they lost in the playoffs. I think it's the way they lost in the playoffs. Like the Raptors so. series being up 2-0 and then blowing it, getting shellacked by the heat in the second round as the, the one seed, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, they were. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so used to this year now where they're like floating around three, but um, I think like <laughs> if they had gone toe to toe with the nets last year and just lost, I think you feel a lot differently than the way they've lost these series. So I hope at the very least, if they don't make it out of the East or win the finals, at least like go down in, in a real series where it's not like, you know, I want the other team to have won if the Bucs lost the series. I don't want it to be like, oh, the Bucs, they choked again, which really kind of has happened in the last few years. I think has Bucks fans, just a little like shook.
1: Well, I think that you guys did make some upgrades. There's no doubt about it. I've been obviously impressed with Drew Holiday and his, you know, addition. I will say this, the DiVincenzo uh, story with him getting traded, you know, on paper or, you know, on the internet, basically getting dealt to Sacramento. You guys are freaking out on your podcast, getting Bogdanovich, and then that whole deal falls through because of tampering rules, which is
3: hilarious. Uh, I don't yeah. know why they can That's care a word. That. Hilarious is one way to yes, put
1: it. It's uh it's ridiculous too. Hilariously ridiculous. But yeah. um, but still, he's had a really good year as well, as that's as that fifth starter with that team. I think getting PJ Tucker was a solid pickup. He didn't have to give up too much to get him. And it allows you to play a little bit smaller if you need to against Brooklyn and take Lopez off and put Giannis at the five. I mean, to me, there's a lot of different variables here, but the area that I'm the most concerned with, I guess, would be your back with your backup point guard. Uh, you know, you're, you're cycling through Pacers, ex Pacers <laughs> as your backup point guards between George Hill, Jeff Teague and DJ Augustine. So it's interesting, but I, I do think Teague's probably a little bit better than Augustine. I mean, it's not much, yeah. but, uh, but Bobby Portis, this is a guy Fachi brought up on Twitter tonight. Love him. He's, I got a soft he's, spot. He's been, he's been a really good plus off the bench for you guys. So I actually am a little bit more optimistic about what the Bucs can do this year compared to last year. And Honestly, I was going to be cute for a minute there, and I'm thinking about picking
0: them. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
1: come out of the east just because i i feel confident in them but at the same time after seeing their performance tonight and how (laughs) lackadaisical they were i said can i really invest in this team so i guess just give me your best campaign for why you think i should pick them to win the east
3: listen i don't like the way they've been playing lately i know they, they don't care i get that they don't care they just want to be healthy i don't like it but the case is go back two weeks ago or whatever Watch the Philly game when Embiid was healthy. Watch the two Nets games. The way they really flustered, not fl- I don't want to say flustered—and and get taken out of, well, I guess not out of context, but <laughs> slightly bothered Kevin Durant, which is more than most teams in the league can do. Like played real strong defense on KD, and were able to bottle up Kyrie enough to to beat the Nets pretty pretty solidly. Like they can go up against great players and play them at at least close, if not outplay them. Mm -hmm. And I think the case really when it boils down to it is, you know, there's questions about Chris Middleton as a second guy. He's now the third guy. And we've seen Drew Holiday as a second guy that Pelican series where they dominated the Pacers and Drew put Damian Lillard in a straight jacket and was scoring a ton of points as well. Like we've seen how that can look when he's paired with a dominant big guy He's got an even better dominant big guy and better supporting cast now. And Giannis outscored KD in both of those Nets games. KD played more minutes in both of those Nets games, but Giannis oh. has gone up a level. So the case is Giannis has more help than ever. The role players are all a peg down in, the, uh, in the, you know, the order now that Drew has slotted in above everybody but Giannis. Uh, they're more cohesive on defense. They, they should have the highest ceiling of any Giannis Bucks team that we've seen. So I think... That is the the Bucks' optimist case. And it's not just, you know, optimistic. I think there's a lot of this. All those things are true. I think they do have a better chance to win it all than they have in years past. But I do want to ask you guys about the Pacers a little bit. Like, while I'm here, I, I need mm-hmm. I need some answers with this team. So, obviously, the coach stuff is happening. That's all over the news. But I'm more interested, like, this is such a disappointing season. There's so much going on, so many injuries, everything else. Obviously, the Karis Levert news was like, potentially traumatic i think it worked out thankfully in the end but that was a wild story too but where do you guys see the team going from here like you have i think a lot of players who the league regards as quite good brogdon sabonis you know even like guys like warren and and miles turner all good players all making a lot of money not the most financial stability or security do you think shake it up do you think get a better coach and run it back like what's the game plan for indiana
2: Oh man, just the term run it back at this point is enough to make all of us sick. <laughs> you can't run it back. <laughs> this team is stuck in the mud right now. The one thing I'll say is I believe in total they might have missed, like, I think it was, it was, it might have been like close to 200 games collectively wow. missed as a team this year. Obviously, TJ Warnall played four games this year. Oladipo, he gets traded early. Obviously, you mentioned what happens with LaVert. Injuries go on. Miles Turner, a lot of people have missed time. But even with all that, they still were tied for the eighth seed going into this, but it becomes the point of, are you all right with mediocrity or is there ever a time to say, what are we doing here? And I think that you can – everything you're hearing internally with coaches, Nate Bjorkren, I, I just don't think that he's the man for the job right now. I think they took a swing on him. And it's one thing if you're losing, but if you lose the locker room while losing – I don't think you can come back from that. And yeah. I think that that's, that's the difference. So I think this they've tried the two-center approach for too long. No one else is really trying it. And they try to be different. But sometimes different isn't always better. Sometimes it's different for a reason. <laughs> and so I think change needs to yeah. happen.
1: Let me, let me add a little bit here to what Fachi said. I think one thing you can really look at, too, is they probably have thought, seeing how they played last couple of years under McMillan, that they had done a really good job and they had overachieved. There's no doubt about it, but they just were lacking something on the offensive end. So I think the whole thought process of bringing in Bjorklund, they kind of thought, "Oh, our defensive principles will stay the same," but then they had those issues once again when they let all their defensive coaches go, especially Dan Burke and Dan McMillan. Uh, you know, their two main staples for the last couple of years. So they had to retool the whole entire coaching staff. And the only hangover was Bill Bano. And then in the report and Bleacher report that came out said, you know, the way that Bjorken was handling his coaching staff, it was just too much on Bano. And that was part of the reason he left in addition to both his parents passing away this past mm-hmm. year. So that was, that was heartbreaking to hear, you know, and him and Kevin Pritchard have a good relationship. Uh, there's been some other coaches that have had relationships with Pritchard and Buchanan And that's kind of how they assembled their assistant coaching staff. But there was a report that came out from Scott Agnes, once again, who said that Bjorkman had a hard time getting coaches, assistant coaches to come work for him in the beginning. And I think that that's an angle the Pacers did not really do their research in before hiring him, which you probably don't think too much about that, I guess, when you're just thinking about, you know, who's going to connect with your players, because that was the whole thing with McMillan was the disconnect. So where I stand at, it's just like, okay, if this, if there's all these reports, Coming out from the coaches' side, the players' side, and the front office side, right around towards the end of the season, there's nothing more to say than I think a firing is bound to happen. I said on on the radio that I was I was a guest on the radio show here in uh, Indianapolis a couple of days ago, and I basically just said zero percent chance that he comes back, and they were like zero percent. I was like, okay, maybe two percent in case <laughs> it's a financial decision, but that's just how I feel. Like I just can't imagine them bringing a bringing the the Bjorkman back, even if the Pacers somehow make the playoffs. I mean, I think they'd have to beat either, you know, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, or Philadelphia in a first round series for him to even be considered to keep his job with just how bad this whole thing's been. Like you see like tonight, Kevin Pritchard sits Sabonis out. Like he's, he's worried about getting through healthy and and getting to the next season. But Fauci's right. You know, the, the double bigs has been a topic of conversation for the last two years and, you know, it, Miles Turner's name has been the one floated out. We've heard nothing really related to Sabonis being on the trade block. We've heard teams called about it and asked if Sabonis was available in reports. I think Kevin O'Connor had that or somebody did, but I can't remember earlier this season. But it was never like the Pacers were trading him. It was the opposite. So, so honestly, I think what Lavert and Sabonis have done over the last couple of weeks has been phenomenal. I think that there's something to build off it's there. Beautiful. And the last thing I'll say is I think we're taking T.J. Warren's absence a little bit for granted here. Some kind of, you know, out of sight, out of mind is what I would say with T.J. Warren, because he was so good last year. We saw what he did in the bubble. There was a, in the article, basically, I was told by a source close to the Pacers that that was completely false that he asked for a trade. It was actually just, you know, he's had a bad foot. We know that he has foot injury issues going back to his days in Phoenix. So, if he gets healthy, uh, Jay Michael from the Indy Star said that, you know, they want to keep him here long-term. He wants to be here long-term. So I think with those core three, that's something to look at. And then I want to ask you a little question because you guys had Malcolm Brogdon on your roster mm-hmm. at one point, and there's been some stuff that's come out basically saying he's very smug, kind of moody a little bit. Uh been like at the beginning of the year, he's praising Nate and saying he's a basketball genius. Then they're saying he's unhappy with him. And so, what is the personality that you guys know from Bre- from Brogdon, and do you think that he can kind of be a locker room problem?
3: I don't know if he's a problem. I think okay. he's definitely very sassy, though. I remember after <laughs> they fired Jason Kidd, Brogdon was the one guy who would constantly take subliminals at Kidd, right, and talk about, you know, without saying it, he says a lot of things, basically, mm-hmm. is Brogdon. And I think at the time, all the Bucks fans were just like, this is great, yeah, because nobody liked Kidd. But it's pretty much happened with every situation that's changed or he's left. Like, I don't know a situation that he's gone from or that has changed for him that he's ever been like, oh, that that was great. Oh, what what a shame. He's always like, I'm sick of that guy. I I think the thing with Brogdon really is that, and maybe it does become a a problem at the end of the day. Um, I don't know if I would would go that far, but Mm. I think Malcolm Brogdon thinks he is like a high usage potential star guard. And that's, that's like, there there was a thing about touches with the Bucs and the Bucs could have kept him. I'm not, I'm not going to say, you know, they had to get rid of him. I think they could have figured it out. I don't think it was to that extent, but I do think Brogdon is like, Hey, I'm the point guard. Like I should run the offense. And I think he's just a level below. I mean, pretty clearly your Steph Curry's, but even like, you know, he's solidly not on that level. He's probably somewhere in the next tier of guards. Right. And I just think you know it, it can be tough to reconcile those things for a player when they want to be all over the ball and they and they're not as much and i think especially on this Pacers team like you know Sabonis is going to be doing a lot of ball handling it's kind of his thing he had what 14 assists in 26 minutes in this game like yeah. my goodness um i think it was a was it a Pacers record or that a, wasn't an NBA record i don't think for assists in one half i think a Pacers record but yeah, um probably yeah shouts to shouts to Sabonis um and the Bucks defense but I think Brogdon, there's just like some <laughs> issues there. And that's why I think he's always feels just a little bit slighted. And I mean, we all saw Last Dance that can work out. Although Brogdon's not exactly Michael Jordan, nah, but a little, uh, <laughs> a little bit different. Little bit I wish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Be nice for you guys. Um, so I, I feel like that's the thing. I just think there's a little bit of a disconnect between what Brogdon is and what Brogdon wants to be slash thinks he is. And I don't know if he's like actively toxic like Kevin Love over in Cleveland right now. But I do think that, you know, there is always a little bit of something going on. So I'm not shocked that he has found himself involved in another one of these situations where he's uh, taken some shots at a coach after f- first liking them because, hey, I should have been getting more touches this whole time. This guy actually stinks. Oh, God. Well, was he that way with, um, was he that way with uh, Coach Bud? Or was he never with Bud? Uh, no, he was with Bud. He was, That's right. Uh, no, actually, maybe he wasn't with Bud. Now I need to look. Uh, How much there. There. I, think,
2: I think he was there for one year. Yeah, I think he
3: was there for one year. Yeah, because okay. this is only this is Brogdon's second year in Indy, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was there with one year. So okay. when he left, it was I think he just more just talked about his his role in general and being super happy in Indiana. I don't know if it was ever specific towards Bud, but I I could be wrong on that. Someone okay. who's paid more attention might might know. Um, there's a lot of Bucks Twitter who was like. I think, name-searching Brogdon every day to either rail on the guy or, you know, say how much of a mistake it was. And um, neither group is totally right, but I side more with the people who say it was a mistake than the people who rail on him because it wasn't really his choice. Ah, it's it's a complicated situation. But, yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. Brogdon's a complicated guy. I think he's a good player. It'd be nice to have him around, that's for sure. But um, I just think it was a, a very weird situation and he would have gone out for Drew Holiday anyway, so... Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're never going to complain having Drew Holiday over there. And I feel like Brogdon has become a bit subliminally loud lately. Like not really saying what he truly feels, but you know he's always saying something. Oh, yeah. but at the same point, I view him as, you know, maybe one of the better guards that's not good enough to be an all-star right now. I think his career probably taps out at maybe a one-time all-star.
3: It's good Mike point. Conley, Mike Conley yeah. legacy yeah. level.
2: Yes, yeah, I, th- I think so. Conley, I think, probably has the better career yeah. in the end. Much um, better. <laughs> yeah, the much better career, and he'll have the longevity <laughs> with at least one team like he had in Memphis. But at the same point, from an outsider's point of view, what would your perception be with the Pacers if they had not made the trade for Karis LeVert and kept Oladipo with everything that's gone down this year? Because I'm curious to hear what it would be like from the outside because from inside Pacers uh, – Pacer land, it wouldn't be good at all.
3: You know what's funny is I think I'm taking an L here because I thought this was a bad trade for them, I'm pretty sure. I've never been super high on Levert, and I thought maybe Oladipo would be able to get back at least sort of to where he was in that that one truly great Pacers year when it seemed like he was going to be their franchise guy for like a decade, which it's wild how much has changed from that season for Oladipo, who's turned down like 16 different big contract (laughs) offers since then. Poor guy. Um, but you know, I think literally poor, yeah, well, I'm sure, he'll, I'm sure he's doing fine overall, but yeah, he's yeah. Poorer, poorer than he could have been. That's for sure. Um, sorry. Um, yeah. Get well, get well soon, Vic. But, uh, of course, um, but I think the trade has really worked out and it's given them kind of another chance to have a guy like that, who they can build around for a bit and Lavert. And I think, you know, it's nice, it's always nice to see a player who's kind of like, Doing very well, but clearly never going to be the guy in a situation, get to move to a situation where he can. It's like Jeremy Grant is the very extreme version. Randall in some ways is like yeah. this. Randall was always kind of always the bridesmaid, never the bride in other teams. And then he got to be the guy. So it's nice to see. Obviously, there's a lot going on in Indy, a lot of good players. So it's not like uh, um, he's the only player uh, on the Pacers who's doing well, LeVert. But it is nice to see. Um, And I think, yeah, if they had not done the trade and they just had Oladipo, it'd look really rough right now if he's just out and then that's one less building block. So it's like, like you guys mentioned, one of Sabonis, Turner, one of whom probably has to go, Brogdon and Warren, and that'd be about it. Because I assume Oladipo would not be resigning, even if he is healthy by next season. Um, I wanted to ask. You know, I don't think this will ever happen. You guys mentioned the Pacers are never in the lottery for a reason. They never want to be in the lottery. They always go all out to at least be usually better than where they are now. It's been unfortunate, but at least be like a sixth seed. Yeah. Any thought given to, we have all these good players, no great players. Can we beat, like, do what the Magic did, but don't wait as long as the Magic did and cash out all these chips, get a bunch of draft picks, absolutely suck for like two years, but then have a shot. At something better, I I think I I think I'd rather be good. The Raptors showed there's a pathway there to yeah. you know you get good enough, you can capitalize, make a run. I think most of the time you probably keep the superstar in that situation. They got a little unlucky with Kawhi, but um, right. what I, I see you guys shaking your head, so I'm thinking absolutely not to this tanking thing, which I get, but I just wanted to float it out there and take yeah. it. Yeah, Alex, you take it.
1: Yeah, it's it's just the front office no no for for Indiana. They would never. I was on an OKC pod uh, with our Blue Wire friends, and uh, I forget I forget my man's name. I, I feel bad, but um, we did a well, pod in they, there.
3: They have 15 hosts. It could have been yeah. Jacob, Taylor. Could I, have think, been it, I think it was of.
1: Jacob. I think it was Jacob. And so um, he had me on basically just to kind of recap one of the Pacers' Thunder game, and like they were tanking, obviously, talking about tanking. And I said, ownership in Indiana, like that's never going to happen. And like the Thunder fans were like, thank God we don't have the Indiana owner because, you know, (laughs) you can't really reset. But I think the Pacers just believe that that kind of karma is not going to come back and work out well for you. They think that, you know, building, and they're, they're all about trying to make as much money possible each season, getting playoff games, you know, getting home games, you know, in the playoffs, that whole thing. They basically said their goal is to win every game that fans are in attendance. So they're never going to try and lose. Like that's an actual quote from somebody. So it's, It's one of those things where, look, I think that they feel like they're better than what their record shows. I mean, clearly, if they have Warren this year, I think that they're probably a top-six team. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, you know, not – because they're close. I mean, they're not that far back, and they were, I think, four games out of fourth all year, like, for, like, most of the season. So they would have been much better had T.J. Warren been healthy all season long. You know, you got to thank Houston for being just a poorly run organization and not accepting Jared Allen and um, Karis Levert in that trade for James Harden instead of getting like, you know, a bunch of picks and then, you know, Victor Oladipo who turned into Olenek and Avery Bradley. So the Pacers really did cash out there with getting Karras. And I think right now, I mean, it's it seems like Turner is the most likely to be on the way out. But I think after that, it's probably Brogdon. I think that your, your key locks here are Lavert. Warren and Sabonis and I'm not sure how those three fit together but I think that there's something there those three are a lot better than some of the teams that are bottom feeders in the Eastern Conference and if you can just get the right fit you know if you can hit on a draft pick maybe if you could combine Turner and Brogdon in a trade package to get something back that makes more sense for your team you go that route but I'm just I'm just not sure what they're going to do but at the beginning they got to figure out this whole coaching thing and I think that's where it starts because. You know, the name that keeps coming out is Dan Tony, but the name that I've been a big fan of for a while, even though he doesn't have any head coaching experience, but he's been a player in the league is Chauncey Billups. Oh, yeah. I I feel like his ability to relate to players, his defensive mindedness that the Pacers want to get back to and his ability to, he's well-respected. So I think he can get assistants to come coach with him, similar to what Nash did in Brooklyn. That is my front-runner, and, and I wanted him last year. I didn't want to be working. I wanted Chauncey Billups. But um, who do you think would make sense, I guess, in, in regards to the Pacers coaching search? Are there any names out there that you think make sense?
3: I've got to plug uh, Milwaukee's own Darvin Ham. Oh, yeah, has yeah. become one of the more respected assistants around the league, has really mm-hmm. put the time in. And, I mean, we joke a lot about – you know, if things don't go well for Bud, he might just slide over a chair. And I know he turned down some interviews earlier this year, and that was at least the buzz I put out there with no no reporting at all. But I was just like, he senses he's one more implosion away from <laughs> being the coach, Giannis, and that's a good decision for him. But it's possible, <laughs> it, it's possible. I assume they'd they'd go on outside hire. You never know. But let's 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 assume a great world where the Bucks win the title, right? Obviously, you know Bud <laughs> is sticking around. I think in that situation, Bucks fans are okay with that. Darvin Ham I think would be great I think you know someone who's proven himself as an assistant and you look at you know as funny as you know the, the Bud jokes are and a lot of truth to them the assistants from his tree have actually done quite well mean, you look at Taylor Jenkins in Memphis who we mostly knew as like the guy whose job it was was to make sure Bud didn't go on a court and get a technical mid-game like that was his big thing in the playoff run before Memphis hired him but clearly he's good at more than just that because he's been a fine coach out there for the Grizzlies so I think there's there's some proven track record there. And I'd like to see Darwin get a shot to be a head coach somewhere for sure. But otherwise, I think another former Buck, uh, Sam Cassell, has been doing good work, I think, with the Clippers still. I think yeah, I'd I like, like him to. Yeah. He'd be yeah. a good one. Like any of these guys who I just have – I like when they've been an assistant for a while and they're well-regarded around the league. And, and even like Billups, at least it's the well-regarded re, well around the league thing. I, I really think teams trying to imitate the Nick Nurse hire – a lot more of them are going to go the way this did in, in Indiana than it mm-hmm. did for the Raptors. I just think it's a really hard formula, and we'll see going forward. But I think – and uh, the one other name I'll have for you is uh, David Vanderpool over in minnesota who probably should have gotten that head coaching job but didn't dame's and, guy right yeah dame's guy maybe okay. you know lure him away I, I can't see a universe where dave gets where dame gets lured to indiana but you never know No. hey let's try it <laughs> brogdon and turner brogdon and turner <laughs> we'll give our pick up <laughs> give a lot of picks up i think yeah um yeah. but but i just i want to see them get someone who's got that respect and i don't want to see Dan Tony, man i just like I, yeah. I don't want to see all offense in Indiana just doesn't feel right over the to,
2: Dan Tony pick,
3: and it's just like yeah, I feel like he's kind of in a it championship is. or bus mode. Like that's not you guys need to grow something. In yeah,
1: yeah, consistent. Yeah. It feels like a like if you had a flat tire, you're just patching the hole instead of replacing the tire. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I'm afraid of because he's a safe hire. Yeah. All these other coaches are you know not inexperienced, but they're not head coaching experience, and I think that that's something the Pacers. Might fall on a little bit, fall back on a little bit here with the D'Antoni hire. One, because he was a front runner last year. I think that Pritchard was probably, in my opinion, I'm not saying I'm not reporting anything, but I just feel like Pritchard, in my opinion, thought, well, I want to do my due diligence and and go out and try to hire the next thing that's going to be long-term future where he's getting a young guy in Bjorkman, but instead D'Antoni, you know, I think, is he in his 70s? I can't remember. He's close to it if he's not. I believe he's he's like 71 or 70. Okay, so he's not going to have much time. I mean, he's maybe three or four years at most, and Uh, maybe, yeah, Yeah. but I mean, he's in good health. I mean, if he wants to coach and coach late, I'm fine with it if he's doing a good job, but it's all about player relations, and I know D'Antoni has good player relations, and I think that's where the Pacers really have to hit on. And if they want to stay modern with their offense, it does make some sense. But at the same time, I mean, he's not my first
2: choice, but I would be much happier with him than I would be
1: Bjorkman going forward. Yeah,
2: definitely. I mean, the Pacers, Ty, the like you mentioned, that seeing them go all offense, it does not feel right because mm. the Pacers were always that ugly, scrappy defensive team that you could be in the top five defensively. And that was good enough to be a four to six seed but when you made that shift offensively, I mean, there is no defense being played at all. So it, every single game is just you're giving up 40 to Giannis, you're, you're giving up four, 50 to Bradley Beal. I mean, some <laughs> big games are being scored against the Pacers. But curious, um, you know, I know you mentioned Darvin Ham, and I believe it was Texas Tech, his alma mater, they turned down. Um, so it was an appealing offer to him. But that's someone that I am very interested in. Now, when you mentioned uh, Coach Bud. What will it take for Bud to keep his job this year? Because you got to feel the Bucks have to go on a lengthier run than years past. This team is too good to be going out
3: early. I mean, I don't want to say, like, in my opinion, because if it's up to me, he's not, you know, he wouldn't have coached. I, I can't remember what I said. He would have either not coached game four or game three of the semis last year. I was done at that point. Like it, it had just gotten ridiculous. Oh, wow. that, that it, like if you go back and watch that series, like Wes Matthews sits on the bench in two fourth quarters and five games, and he had done such a great job on Jimmy Butler and Jimmy Butler just lit up Former Pacers. So it was former Pacers, man. Um, but, <laughs> but I think I truly, and it's already being reported that he's on the hot seat, which really is not oh, yeah. in years past. I think that that's a new thing for the Bucks. I think, yeah. I, I want to say get to the finals, but I think honestly, if they if they have a really hard fought series against Brooklyn and Brooklyn just comes ends up winning in six or seven, I think there's a shot that he gets that they they keep him around using the same logic as La- well, different logic, but the same idea of like it was kind of out of our hands. Like the Bucks looked at the bubble as like you know it was so weird. This will never happen again. If if it's not for the bubble, we do way better. Yada yada yada. Which. Maybe there's some truth, but they also, there were some issues before uh, the season ended as well. But I think, you know, maybe if you lose to Brooklyn in seven and game seven's in Brooklyn and, you know, the Nets just like KD puts up 60, maybe the Bucs go, oh, well, nothing he could have done. Let's run it back, you know. But I think, you know, if you lose embarrassingly to the Nets or to any other team, or I think if you lose to a non Nets team, I would think it's got to just be over at that point. Cause I think the Bucks should beat any non-Brooklyn team in a series. So we'll see. We'll see what wins out narrative-wise in the Bucks, you know, ownership and front office, is it, you know, they lose in the second round or is it well, they couldn't beat the Nets, but maybe nobody can beat the Nets. So I think it's going to be really interesting if they do end up losing to Brooklyn, how the team rationalizes that and if Bud loses his job. I think he probably should at that point, but who knows? Maybe he's going to coach a great series and they'll still lose and then you're in kind of a difficult position.
1: Yeah, I get that. I think that I don't want to say like Vogel's was in the same position as Bud is with, with the Bucks, But I think with Vogel, like he had some really good runs when the team was really healthy here in Indiana. And then when Paul George got the injury, it's like, you know, he couldn't get healthy. And then we lost that first round series to the Raptors where we, you know, took him to seven games, I think, in 2016, I want to believe. But, you know, Vogel got let go and they bring in McMillan, who was there on staff, similar to what you were talking about with Darvin Ham which could make some sense, you know. But I'm just, I'm just curious because, to me, I feel like Giannis has much more say in what the Bucks do than what Paul George had here when Larry Bird was president because yeah. Larry Bird said Paul doesn't make the decisions around here, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of what Paul's like, see ya. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the franchise player. You're not going to ask me my opinion on who I want to coach. But what is, what is Giannis's relationship like with Bud, and do you think that he could have any pull in him going or staying?
3: I think he, he, listen, we're at the point now, if Giannis woke up today, I think, and told the Bucks like, fire Bud now, I, they might just do it. They'd probably, you know, talk him down and be like, well, we can't do this, you know, a week before the playoffs. But all jokes aside, he, he has the pull, anything, anything that Giannis wants, the Bucks will do. The thing about Giannis is he, he's not a guy who makes concrete demands. That's always been the relationship with Giannis and the Bucs, and he's pretty much held firm to that. It's, it's not, or he will, but they're not specific. So Giannis says, we need to be better. We need to win more games. We need to improve our ceiling. Giannis is not going to go into the front office and, you know, I think hand over a list of players, like specifically these guys. We need these guys. I think Giannis more lobs things out like that. And then the Bucks go, well, we just went and got Drew Holiday. How about yeah. that? And, and Giannis clearly liked it. So I, I don't think Giannis is the kind of guy who's going to go. And he's also like painstakingly loyal. I mean, he loved Michael Carter Williams. He loved Jason Kidd. He probably loved Joe Prunty in the 20 games that he was the head coach after <laughs> Kidd got fired. Like that's the thing about Giannis. So it, it's really been, you know, truly a blessing for the bucks and bucks fans and that he's probably the lowest maintenance superstar out there his demands are very reasonable like of course he wants to win games and contend for championships he's that level of a player he should do that every year like that's not unreasonable at all so that part's been nice but the, the flip side of that is you know he's not going to be the guy who's like marching into the coach's office and saying this coach stinks like we need to fire this coach it's not that bud outright stinks i mean clearly there's yeah. playoff deficiencies but they've also been really great a lot of the time, too. And yeah. I think the playoff thing is worth more, but it shouldn't completely overshadow everything else. But, you know, Giannis is not really going to be the type of guy. And maybe if it goes bad this year, things change. And, you know, he's had some remarks of, like, I don't make coaching decisions, like why he's not guarding best players and stuff like that. But he's just not. He's usually more like, you know, I'm not. He always says this, like, I'm not. I'm not my agent, so I'm not the front office. Like, before he signed and they kept asking him, he's like, I don't know. I don't know. It's not me. It's not, not even my thing. And obviously it was his thing. But, you yeah. know, he, he doesn't want to be one of these. And not to throw shade, but he's just not a LeBron type of, like, you know, shadow GM. He just wants to show up and play and work hard. And um, I think the comp that makes the most sense is, like, Duncan-esque. Like, he yeah. is. And, the, like and the, Bucks, the Bucks go after this a lot. The Bucks very purposefully try to model themselves after the Spurs, because it's like you, we, we've mentioned this a few times because all of our listeners who are fans of our teams can relate. You know, we're not the Miamis and the L.A.s, exactly. right? Like you kind of need to operate differently. The Bucks mm-hmm. get that. I think Giannis kind of understands that too.
1: Yeah, no, and I think that's a great point. And it's good to have a guy like that, you know. But yeah. at the same time, I, I feel like Giannis has got to say, no, I'm going to guard him, so, so I'm shutting him down. Like it's my turn, you know. I mean, I, I think he's got to take that next step in his game to just become one of the greatest. I mean, he's already probably on his way up there, I think, but in a, in a little bit of time, you know, he's got to have that playoff resume to really, you know, start to reach those top 20, top 10 yeah. of all time lists. And I think he can, cause he's got the athleticism and he's got the abilities to do it. But if Bud's like, Hey, you're going to guard the the worst player on the court <laughs> and help out he's, and yet Durant's going off for 40. He's got to say, no, I'm going to go on Durant and try to yeah. change things up. But yeah. Uh, just to wrap it up here, I'm going to go back to the Pacers because mm-hmm. people hear me and Fashi's thoughts a lot if they listen to this podcast. But as an outside person, I mean, you've heard what we've had to say. What do you think the Pacers should do with their roster going forward and knowing that they're not going to tank?
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, to make it clear, before I even ask the question, I told I knew I know I know how Indiana operates um, <laughs> as well as you guys. Of course, you know, listen, subscribe, oh, yeah. rate, review, setting the face, But <laughs> um, I, I know from afar what the Pacers like to do, yeah. I really like Sabonis, um, and I think if you can build a better team around him, and I really think like Denver to me is the blueprint because so I feel like he is uh-huh. the Eastern Conference Jokic in a lot of ways, and that's that is shade to Sabonis, but not really because Jokic is like literally the MVP,
2: MVP, yeah. yeah,
3: it's really hard to be on Jokic's level, but I think. Sabonis is some approximation of that, so I think you look at what Denver has been able to do, and you know you you plug in the offensive spark plugs, the Jamal Murray's and Michael Porter Juniors, and just find enough defense, like Gary Harris for a while there, Jeremy Grant for a while there. They really don't have a lot of defense going on at all right now. Jokic is stout, but I mean Sabonis is too. So I think they need to figure out more defense, especially playing in Indiana. It's Denver is kind of the opposite of Indiana in that facet. But right. I think figure out some more defense, but I really think get this crack shooting around Sabonis, like surround Sabonis with weapons, let him operate out of the, the high post and wherever else and do his dribble handoffs and his passes. I just really like having that inside-out action that, that mm-hmm. the Pacers have with him. So I, I do think if you refresh a little bit, whether it's Brogdon and – um, Why am I blank? Oh, T- Turner, of course. Whether it's <laughs> Biden and Turner or just Turner, they do need to move one of these guys eventually. And I hope it's Turner not Sabonis because I just think Sabonis is much better. But I, I think, yeah, I think you want to get five out around Sabonis as-, as you're closing. It's kind of, you know, like the Bucks kind of took them a while to figure out, like, you know, we love Brooke Lopez. Maybe Brooke Lopez shouldn't be closing every single game. Maybe this Giannis yeah. the five thing can work out, I think doing more of that with Sabonis and just finding finding the Jeremy Grant to go with him. So, you know, kind of like Turner, but a little more little more switchable, a little more of a forward than a, a five. I think there's a lot of potential there if you bring back Lavert and TJ Warren gets healthy. And I think Brogdon could be really nice on that team, but we'll, we'll see what happens yeah. There.
1: yeah, I think Brogdon would be better in a lesser role, and I know Brogdon yeah. probably doesn't want that. Yeah. <laughs> so it just depends on how he handles that situation because – with Levert kind of running the offense with Brogdon out and him and Sabonis. I mean, those two have looked really well together. I mean, they've been putting up some ridiculous numbers. If you go back and just look at their statistics, I mean, they've been unbelievable. They've been a great duo over the past couple of weeks. I know they played some crap teams, don't get me wrong, but still it's nice to see that their chemistry is starting to gel there and, and all of that. So, yeah, I just, you know, you brought up some great points. I mean, I, I we've had a lot of divided fans here between Sabonis and Turner because of what Turner does on the defensive end, and his on-off numbers this year have been better than Sabonis's, but Sabonis is also playing close to 40 minutes a game. So it's a very small sample size of when Turner's out there by himself. But I have to ask both of you guys this. I don't know, Fauci, if you got to see the video or not, or if you did tie, but Miles Turner did a, you know, pregame press conference, updated the fan, or updated the reporters on his injury, said he's still week to week, but he also came out and just said he's tired of getting overlooked by the NBA for his defensive campaign and said that he might have missed too many games at this point to be Defensive Player of the Year and that Gobert will probably win it, but he still thinks he should be an all-defensive team. I know they only do first and second team, but um, I'll ask you first, Ty, then Fachi, you follow up. If you saw it or not, I mean, whether or not you saw it doesn't matter, but do you think that Turner should be on the all-defensive teams?
2: It's really tough. Um, I mean, honestly... I'm sorry. I think, Todd, I think you were supposed to go. <laughs> no, um,
3: it's all good. Go ahead. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I, You're whatever. excited.
3: You're excited, Fletch. It's I all right. I am
2: excited because it's, it's it's a hot topic. I think that if Turner stayed healthy, I think he did deserve to be on that second team because Embiid did miss a lot of time this year. But, you know, and the same point, the fact that Miles now I think is on pace to play roughly, I think it was like 44, 45 games, that's two-thirds of the season that's too much time to miss. And I think at that point, Defensive Player of the Year, that's long out. I think it's unfortunate, but I don't think he's going to make that second team. So if he stayed healthy, he he definitely has every right to put up that argument and potentially be on that second team.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, I think last year he probably had a solid case too. They finished sixth in defense, sixth in defense last year, which is good. Um, obviously really good. But this year, certainly, I think he's missed too many games. I think the issue is, You know, when you're that kind of a big guy who's, like, going to rack up the blocks and everything, you just have to be such a great defensive center to make one of the all-defensive teams because you know Gobert is going to be there. And then I feel like the voters on this kind of stuff love guys like Bam Adebayo, who can sort of do both, right? Who can switch out and lock down in the perimeter. So it's tough for Turner because there's always going to be the slightly better uh, version of what he does over in Utah. So, you know, being the second best pure shot blocker. I know Gobert and Turner can do other things, but it's not, certainly not their specialties. I think that makes it hard for him. And also just not playing enough. And this year, Indiana right now, I think like 11th in defense, that's a little bit tough to reconcile. Usually you have to be a really strong defense or just clearly the best defensive player on your team to make one of these things. And that's the Clint Capella case this year. And I think Turner, you could argue probably is the clearly the best defensive player on the the Pacers, but Uh, I think being in the crowded back or front court thing with Sabonis makes it a little harder for him and just the fact that he hasn't played enough. So it wouldn't surprise me if he made a second team somewhere next year, the year after that, maybe when he's in more of a clear role and he doesn't have to kind of play half five and half four. I mean, obviously, he's more of the five out there on defense, but yeah, yeah, um, and just staying healthy. That's the main thing you guys already covered. I mean, you missed that many games you can't miss roughly as many games as Embiid because he's another one of those lockdown paint centers. who's just going to get way more attention.
1: And I think one of the big things too, like and Turner can try to deny this as much as he wants, but like just the defensive rebounding numbers aren't there for him yeah. compared to the guys that he's going up against. And that's not a knock on him. It's just Capella is a monster rebounder, same with Embiid. And then same with Bam out bio. They're just a little bit more active on the defensive glass. And so he he brought that up today in his speech or his little campaign that he went through uh, trying to just say he's tired of the disrespect saying that he might not have the most defensive rebounds, but his blocks lead to fast breaks. His blocks don't go out of bounds. You know, they change the course of the game and whatever. I mean, he might be onto something there, but unfortunately we know that not every voter has the ability to watch all these games. I mean, there's very few that spend a lot of detailed time watching these games and these players, they, You know, they catch a couple, they look at statistics. And and statistically, he just does not match up number-wise. I mean, blocks, he might lead in blocks. But I think that we're like 14th or 16th in defense overall. So we're middle of the pack. So nothing great this year. And, you know, it's just tough, like you said, with the center position because there's not as many opportunities. If they labeled him as a forward, then maybe you could. But there's still some really great defensive forwards that have been good all year long. So this whole thing was kind of inspired by Kevin Pelton's article that came out on ESPN He quote tweeted that he came out, he was hot, you know, but I mean, that was probably the most defensive I've seen miles in the last couple of weeks, you know, coming out there, defending himself, (laughs) uh, trying to get this campaign. So that was, it was good to see from that side of it. Like I'm happy that he's going out there trying to make a name for himself. And so that it's not an Indiana thing, just a defensive thing. Like he just deserves that credit and he's tired of not getting it. And I'm glad he has that chip on his shoulder because it's only going to make him better. But at the end of the damning, it's just – I think a lot of it comes down to just the defensive rebounding, even though it seems like a cop-out. It is what it is. I, that's where I'm stuck at it with. But, um, yeah, so, anyway, we could ramble about this all night. Fachi,
2: any final words for me, my brother? No, I would just say, yeah, I'm going to leave with this point. Coming into this game with no real ball handlers outside TJ McConnell, I thought Kashi Stanley was going to get more run tonight. That was the one thing I knew, hey, if we were going to get killed – or lose by more, you know, double digits, at least let me see some cashier Stanley. And we didn't get that. So at the end of the day, I don't know what we really have coming from from this loss other than the Bucks were head and shoulders above the rest of the Central Division. We talked about it offline. They swept the whole division this year. So it showed, hey, we we are not in the same category this year. Hats off to the Bucs over there and Ty and uh you know, before we wrap up, give us give a shout-out of what you guys have going on over at Eurostep.
3: Yeah, man. Uh, appreciate the uh, the opportunity there. Um, you know, we're very excited for this playoff run. We're going to be bringing uh, post-game pods every single game, wrapping it up. Uh, right now we're obsessed with seeding, so we're going to be uh, another pod right after the, the regular season ends on, on Sunday, kind of recapping the season very quickly and then looking forward to whoever they do end up playing in the first round. But, yeah, super excited for playoff coverage coming live after every game. And I think, you know, what's nice about our pod Rohan Cadi, and myself is we, we really just always try to call it as we see it. And obviously it's every podcast and, and you guys do this well. And I would say most pods are around blue wire, but especially in the bucks, there's a lot of like this sentiment of like, Oh, they're finally good. Like, don't take it for granted. And we're like, no, I mean, if they mess something up or they're not doing something optimally, we're going to be upset about it. But we're also not going to rag on the team just to rag on the team. And there's a lot of both of those things uh, in the Bucks universe. So I really like that we just we keep ourselves steady. We laugh at ourselves, but also just, uh, just bring the heat when, when need be. But we're excited. Hopefully we get more celebratory, delirious, happy pods than <laughs> rants this time. The last postseason, a lot more rants, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I think the the ce- celebratory, happy podcasts are always the best. Yeah, uh, fans always seem to be more in, into your team and into your podcast when the team is doing well. And we have seen Pacers Twitter has pretty much just gone down from full on one hundred percent to like twenty percent over the last <laughs> couple of weeks. But um, anyway, Fachi, where can the people find us on social media?
2: So you can find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace Three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore facci, and on Instagram we are at Pacers Talk. Ty, tell them where they can find you.
3: Yeah, uh, at, on Twitter and on Instagram at Ty Windisch. So that's T I W I N D I S C H. Also on Twitter at Eurostep Podcast for the show. And I forgot before. I'm glad I got a second chance at plugging here. The Eurostep Podcast, G Y R O Step, on all podcast platforms. After you give setting the pace a five-star rating and review on five-star five already got to be five even if you don't use apple just download the app steal someone's iphone i don't care give the <laughs> five-star review then maybe subscribe to the Eurostep and do the same thing if, if you like to be on this episode would appreciate that greatly
1: absolutely so Fashi, at the end of the day no matter if we win or lose we're still pacer fans and we're going to say these three words let's
2: go pacers
0: nobody builds 5g like verizon builds 5g